Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. I'm very happy to have as my guest tonight, Dr. Jason Campbell. Dr. Campbell is an anesthesiologist, and he is a powerful presence on social media across multiple platforms where he is known as the TikTok doc, where he writes outstanding editorials on mentorship and leadership and advocacy. And he joins us tonight at what feels like a critical time in the history of the United States. We are in the midst of protests from coast to coast in the wake of the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And in keeping with the spirit of Explore the Space podcast, we want this to be a place where we learn together, where we work to get better, where we gather information and tools to help us be the best that we can be at everything. And for me, it's important that we seek to be good allies inside the hospital, outside the hospital, in our lives. And this episode is in keeping with that spirit. You can find Jason on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. JC of the DC. That's DR of the DC. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show. You can email me mark at explore the space show.com and you can find the podcast at www.explore the space show.com. Without further ado, Dr. Jason Campbell. Jason, welcome to Explore the Space. Delighted to have you here tonight. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So just to set some context, uh, it's it's about 9.30 p.m. Pacific. And as you and I are having this conversation and just starting this conversation, we were probably both looking at our respective TVs and Twitter feeds to yeah. catch up and follow the protests that are happening all across the country in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, on, on this show, Explore the Space is really created to be a place where we can learn through conversation, where we can really connect with people that help us to grow and to be better. And so I think having you here is wonderful and I'm grateful to you. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to explore this space, to explore it with you as a white physician and to bring my point of view uh, to the table and hopefully uh, answer some questions and shed some light on my upbringing and, and what I think I can impart on, on hopefully on America. So I think and given where we are tonight, I, I feel like the right place to start. I, I like to start these episodes in all different ways, but I feel like the right place to start tonight is to ask you, where do you want to start? Where do you feel like is the right place for us to begin? You know, I want to start with my upbringing and open up with that and um, explain where I come from, because too often I hear a lot of the commentary is that these black men come from a certain type or walk of life that as if they deserve this or that they've earned this. And so I want to shed light on on my upbringing in hopes to start to dispel that. So I grew up in Northwest Washington, D.C., to a mother who's now a senior, one of the senior deans at Georgetown University uh, and was the first African-American female PhD epidemiologist in the country. 
and to a father who is a lawyer by degree, but he's a, a community man and, and just a, a lovable guy uh, by character. Now, my mother came from Southeast Washington, D.C., born in 1953. Don't tell her I told you that. Uh, my father also <laughs> born. <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. My uh, my father also born in 53 in Northeast D.C., first in Rhode Island. If you know if you know D.C., so both of these were tough neighborhoods that they grew up in. Father, you know, had to deal with uh, fighting on a daily basis especially in, in junior high uh, mother, man, my mom is tenacious. And so growing up with parents like this, they saw a lot of what we're seeing now firsthand, especially in the 50s and 60s in D.C. with the riots uh, after the death of Martin Luther King Jr., the assassination, excuse me. And so I remember when I was seven years old, okay, so I'm growing up in this household. This is a, I mean, middle, upper class household, two professional degrees, my sister and I, but I was a hard head kid. And I just remember one time I ran away from my mom. I just was running down the street, Jason, come back, Jason. A lot, a lot more force than that. And when she caught me, she grabbed me by the arm. She's like, hey, if you don't start listening to me, you're gonna get yourself killed. Because one day if you don't listen to the cops, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Now I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm seven, eight years old. I'm like, man, mom, get off me first off. Second off, what are you talking about? Like, where is this coming from? Well, now fast forward, you know, twenty three, twenty-four years later, I mean, even honestly, probably five years ago, I ten years ago understood more of what she was saying in that very moment. And in that very moment, there was no hesitation from her to say that. There wasn't like a holding back, like, oh, do I really want to say this to my son? No, it was like, a, I'm saying this to my son right now because this is a reality that she knew about before I ha- had even any idea of what she was talking about. But I start and set the stage with that because people say, well, you're a doctor, Jason. You're a resident physician. This wouldn't happen to you. I don't walk around with doctor labeled on my forehead. I just walk around. I'm an African-American. I'm a black male walking around. So it, it, you think that the identifier and, and honestly, many times it's not the people don't see me in the first thing that their thought is, is, oh, I'm sure he's a doctor. They might tell you that, but that's not what their first thought is. And so um, I just had one of the senior surgeons on the West Coast. I, I was on a chat with him and he said he remembers when he got pulled over and they, because he was in a rickety car. Uh, sir, is this car stolen? Hi, I'm doctor such and such. And no, this car is not stolen. It's just a rickety car. So understand that these these prejudices and biases are deep rooted and deep seated and that this can happen to anyone. Once our allies understand that, I think it's easier for them to say, well, I need to speak up for the Jasons, the Georges, the Michaels, everybody who looks like Jason Campbell, regardless of what their occupation is. From physician to homeless, rights are rights. So I just I want to start us off with there because I think too often I hear that, uh, well, this wouldn't happen to you. And I'm saying maybe it hasn't happened to me yet, but it can. And if it did, I wouldn't be surprised. I appreciate the way that you shared that. I really do. <laughs> Listening to you, you and I have spoken before. I I can hear the weight, and I'm, I'm curious if you can just describe what it feels like day to day to walk around going, I know what I've accomplished. I know who I am as a, as a man and as a, as a son and as a physician and as a friend, but I also know how I'm perceived and I know what is on the table. What does that weight feel like? That weight? 
can be incredibly traumatic and paralyzing if you allow it. I think that I have become accustomed to certain chameleon-like maneuvers or certain things that I do, right? So when I run, I work, I tell somebody, when I run through the park, I work harder than everybody else because I smile at everybody, say hello as I'm running. I mean, that takes energy. You know, I'm not just keeping my mouth closed and breathing, you know, like my old track coach used to, used to you know, you allowed me to do. I'm making an effort to not come across as a 6'2", 6'3", black guy, 195 pounds, just rolling through uh, where I recognize that I may startle someone. So this is something that I think about, whether you think it's right or wrong or I should or should not. It's just what I do. Okay. Uh, so I was just talking about, I try not to wear, uh, I don't wear many hoodies, I just don't. Uh, I might wear the hoodie. I don't pull the hood up. Rarely. Uh, I would rather wear a baseball cap so you can see my face. Uh, These are little things that society has taught me are necessary. And so now it's second nature. So that's kind of the adaptability piece. And there's a lot of arguments. Well, you shouldn't have to do that. We need to fix things. Well, things are broken. Things are fractured. And until they're fixed, there are things that we have to do. And these techniques and these chameleon-like aspects that you described, are these things that you feel like, obviously you heard a big one from your mom when you were seven, are these things that you all have to go through and you all carry in your own way and I guess maybe help one another to carry as well? Yes, and I think that within the black community there's arguments or at least discussions, you know, what should we have to do? What shouldn't we? But for myself, and I think others, there's the, here's what we need to do right now as we work for change in hopes that things look different in five, 10, 15 years. But certainly, you know, we, I was just on a call with some other black male physicians and, you know, the talk of uh, what you must do when it comes to dressing in the hospital may not be what your white counterparts can get away with. You know, you not, you know, shirt tucked in, professional attire, professional shoes, uh, dress shoes. We're not doing sneakers, uh, slacks or something of that nature for the young black men. And um, and that's important. And this is not something that, you know, there's no book, right? These institutions don't provide a book that says what is acceptable or unacceptable. But in the subjective evaluations that come from the physicians, the attendings, or even from residents, there's these subtleties in why the evaluation was maybe lower or was different. And so when you're black in medicine, some of the black in life, there's the idea that at times you have to work harder for equal, or sometimes you're working harder, twice as hard for maybe half and that's something that has always been passed down. And I do think that at times things are getting better, but I, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I know that's not what this this space is about, you know, and that's the rhetoric. And that's the realization that a lot of us have faced or may face in the future. When you are outside the hospital, I want to be I want to say outside the hospital because you and I both know being inside a hospital is a very unique environment. But when you're sure, outside okay. the hospital, yep. when you're when you're moving just through the rhythms of daily life outside the hospital, mm-hmm. when you see others and when you talk with your African-American friends and family 
about being out in the world. What is your sense of the insight of those around you to what you are experiencing on that day to day maneuvering through the world? I don't you know, I don't know how much insight some have many unlike you don't ask and i don't think that we just walk up and start and start sharing i think it 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 takes a special kind of person to create a space and a forum where we can have these discussions and dialogues it's not any person that i can just walk up to that and have this conversation about what it's like in the daily life of uh, african-american male Furthermore, I want to say that there are people that don't understand and don't want to understand, right? Then there are people that don't understand but want to understand but desire to become better allies and recognize that in 2020 that they have to be anti-racist. They can't be status quo. They can't stand still because the escalator is going the wrong direction. They have to actively walk against this oppression and racism and prejudice and bias. And so that's what you're creating here and allowing for myself and and for those that I represent to finally to, to have a voice for those that want to understand. And then hopefully they can get through to those that don't want to understand to to flip them to the other side. So you framed for me uh, a, a tension of which there are numerous, but the one of them is two parts. It's I, I feel like it's accessing people's desire to want to be that ally and then making sure that they do it. It's one thing to want to do it. It's another thing to actually do it. And I think that that's something that we just have to kind of kind of carry for a minute um, and sit with. Do you feel like the way that I'm describing that, the way I'm taking on board what you're saying, does that sound like the right way to be conceptualizing us? Yes, I think that there is we there are a lot of battles to be fought right now, figuratively, maybe even literally. And it's it's one step one day at a time. You start with those that are willing to listen and want to be a part of the change. And then hopefully in doing that, those that at least in the past did not want anything to do with change start to warm up to what is right and seeing injustice for what it is and recognizing the truth of the matter at hand. What I what I think I'm hearing from you and I, what I actually really appreciate is that I'm hearing, Mark, you have this appreciation, you want to do it and that's fine, but you have to then turn around and help mm-hmm. bring others up that same path and have those people also turn around and bring others up that same path. It can't just be the one. Exactly, because at the end of the day, this is a joint effort. Uh, I know there are many blacks that think, hey, we got to do this. And as African-Americans and as blacks, yes, we have our part to do for sure. But without our allies from other races and ethnicities, there this is a very hard fight to win alone. So I, w- I want to pick up that word allyship a little bit and the idea of being an ally. In the last couple of days, you know, you and I kind of walk the same virtual 
corridors on Twitter. We're friends with a lot yeah. of the same people, and I think we're in the same sort of conversations. That word has come up a great deal. Can you give that give us the sense, though, of not just what it means to be an ally, but what the actions behind being an ally that if you were to say you are an ally, not just the words, what are the deeds that allow someone to live up to the aspiration of being an ally to support our friends and neighbors? Yeah, being an being an ally is cutting off people that exhibit racist tendencies and underlying tones it's saying hey you know maybe my kids don't need to play with your kids if this is how you feel and this isn't this isn't political this is not blue or red or independent this is everybody versus racist and i the the other deeds that i come to mind are things of hey speaking up when you know, someone makes a comment about one of your coworkers or colleagues or friends who are black. Uh, taking action when a company or organization makes a statement or an act against one of your colleagues, friends, or coworkers that are black. It, it the it, it's more than just you know. Oh, I'm I'm going to just walk away. No, let them know what they said or what they did is wrong. It was wrong 50 years ago. It was wrong 25 years ago, and it's wrong today. You know, and that's the difference. It, it's silence is killing us. Silence is hurting us. Silence is making this conversation go nowhere. And that's what we need from our allies. Don't just say I'm I'm good because I'm not I'm not saying what they're saying. That's not helpful. I need for you to be good and to be helpful. I need you to chastise and and, and go against what they're saying with louder words of affirmation for us. That is the thing that I think we aspire to do. And I know for me, growing up just in general, being sort of a conflict averse person, standing up for myself i haven't always been very good at it and learning how to do those things and learning how to do exactly what you just described it's a journey but it's part of the journey of getting better and hearing it from you and framing it that way that it's that in the moment decisive action of stepping towards as opposed to just walking away from and saying i don't like that so i'm going to leave but saying i'm i don't like that i'm going to confront I think for different different people, that's that's a journey, and it's a definitely a journey worth doing. Yeah, and Mark, if I may add, I I do not think it's easy, and just like I don't expect you or otherwise necessarily know or feel how it is to walk in my shoes as a true ally. I don't know how it feels to walk in your shoes, so it, I don't you know, take it lightly for what the ask is. But at this point in time, the ask is is, is a complete requisite for moving forward in the right way. I appreciate you framing it like that, but I'm also comfortable saying that the shoes have a very, a very different levels of discomfort and difficulty. Sure. And I think it sure. is entirely appropriate to make the to make the request that you're saying of what it means to be an ally and, and expecting, quite frankly, results. 
as we go on this journey, though, I do want to take the journey inside the hospital because right. I, I've worked inside a hospital since I started medical school in 1999, and I've been around hospitals Whoa. my whole life, as I've made yep. clear on the show. My, you know, my father was a physician, and yep. so I am curious to hear those same kind of the the same insight that you give around what it's like to be out in the world, the experience, so that we can better understand how to be the right kind of ally of being an African American physician in an American hospital. So this is a very interesting, not only question but take for me because I left the D.C., Philly, New York, to come to Portland, Oregon, to be in a hospital where my department actually has arguably the most black male residents in the country for any anesthesia department. So I, I was very intentional in, in, in doing that and in hoping to, to come to this program. So when I walk into different rooms, different operating rooms or different uh, rooms for recruitment, I'm not alone. I look around and there's more than just myself, more that have the same skin complexion as I do. And that's very special. And unfortunately, there are a lot of African-American, a lot of black male and female physicians that do not have that luxury that I do. So for me, in choosing to to come to a place where I knew I would have that support, both the literal support in a program director and others who who get it, who understand what diversity and inclusion actually mean, as well as figuratively just in in being in spaces where I wasn't alone. I mean, that was different than even being back in like in my private, you know, majority white high school or other spaces of that nature. But still there are times that we encounter patients that don't want your care because of the color of your skin or that feel that they can talk to you a certain way or mistake you for the custodial worker or for transport or for something that's, how do I say it? A position of importance, but a position that you have have uh, overqualify yourself for, if you will. And these are just many stories that I hear from my fellow uh, black colleagues across the nation. And so standing up, being there to say, hey, that's that's Dr. Campbell. He's your physician. He's the one that's making the call. I'm his staff overseeing his assessment of you is so important. That's what I've experienced at my current hospital. So uh, once again, you talk about being an ally. I mean, support, support and support in the moment, you know, oh, patients being it has made some racist comments, address them in the moment. Don't ask me or one of my colleagues to step outside the room to finish the patient care and make the patient feel comfortable only to try to rectify the situation later. It's that in the moment, like you think that you're uncomfortable. Imagine how we feel. So let's so step up and and address that in the moment. And that's how we actually move forward and make a difference. Is this something that in your perception, having gone through the same kind of formal training in medical school and all of the same curriculum in your residency? Are we are we teaching one another this? Are we are we mentoring this? Are we role modeling this? My understanding is that every institution is trying in some way to do to do that. 
some institutions okay. have have been doing it better than others and are, and are more forward thinking. Uh, but, you know, there are doctors that, yeah, they're not racist, but they're not anti-racist. So, they're, you know, they find themselves in these positions where they're like, well, I just wasn't sure how to respond. Like maybe that was the first time that it has ever happened to him or her. And and then they're kind of shell shocked. But I, my understanding of the training for some of my staff uh, faculty members is in, in how to combat this if and when it does happen. You know, I, so I did my training, you know, med school, 1999 to 03, residency, 03 to 06. Mm-hmm. And this was not this was not taught. This was not right. this was right. not part of the formal curriculum. This was not part of mentorship, not because these were bad people. We just weren't in that. We just weren't in the place that we needed to be. And it's right. left a huge gap. Mm-hmm. And I can also say in parallel as a white male physician, I I understand better and I can speak for other white male physicians that I don't experience what you just described in the hospital at all. When I walk down the hall, it's, hey, Dr. Shapiro, you know, I'm walking as fast as I want. I'm doing whatever I want to do. All I'm thinking about is the next moves that I have to make on the chessboard of taking care of patients that day. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't have those same distractions. That is a privilege. It's not understood. It's not baked in. It is a gift to be able to practice medicine without that weight of what you've just described. And I think my understanding of that through conversations with you and so many others is better than it was. Um, And it's just the imbalance is just so stark and so dramatic. Yeah. It's getting better, but we, we have a ways to go. We have a ways to go. The the use of techniques that you've described, the in the moment stance, the in the moment anti-racist advocacy inside of a hospital, it feels like there's a lot of room for growth and improvement on every level of how we operate inside of a hospital for all of us to get better at that. Am I, am I reading that right? Am I understanding that right? Yes. And yes. And, and you never know when this is going to occur, when a patient's going to come in from either a rural area or from a place of not understanding and not desiring to understand, and that you're going to have to go into action mode, but being ready for that can make all the difference because that might be that one uh, young black male or female resident or medical student who needs you on that day. Like, like this is the moment for you to, to, to change how they see you, to change how they see these patients and to recognize that, hey, in this world where I felt alone, this physician has my back. And so it's just being ready for those moments, you know, just being ready. When we come now to what feels like a critical moment in the history of our nation, you and I have spoken a lot about this idea of when this is kind of what I'm, how I'm kind of working this through as I'm learning from you and and we're having this discussion. As we come now to this moment where these last few days, we, we watch our whole nation just roiled with anger and tension and so much difficulty in the wake of George Floyd's killing. Is the weight heavier 
or is it the same? Does it somehow feel perhaps lighter? Is there a sense, I know you've had conversations with colleagues around the country and friends around the country in the African-American community. Does it feel any different or is it just way too soon to call? It feels like this may be the tipping point. Um, that may be too soon to call, but I've heard that word used. I've agreed. I have felt more allies come out and speak up than in any previous episode or, or action like this. But I also know that in American society, you know, things are, things can be a hot one minute and the next minute everybody has forgotten about it. So it's really hard to, to say right now in five years, when I look back and be George Floyd, that was it. That was the moment that things really started to change and shift. And, those who used to be silent have now spoken up and that by doing that, they have pushed uh, the agenda for anti-racism further than it's ever been and helped actually create uh, change that can that can last. But I'm not ready to jump there yet because there is a issue with some of our men and women that wear the police uniform. There are amazing policemen, police officers that have helped me in my time of need uh, over and over. But there's just some that are making it very hard for others. And that is giving the black community and making the black community have a hard time trusting police. And that's not what we want. Right. And, you know, there's mistrust in the black community for physicians. And that's historic. There's there's now more with the police and that's troubling too. And so I, you know, as a physician, I'm hoping to work to combat one of those. As a black male, I'm hoping that you, Mark, and others are going to help us combat the police side of things. And um, moving forward, we'll look back at this 2020 as a, a, a incredibly important and, and, and pivotal year for both of those. I've known you virtually for a couple of years and we spent some time together when I was in Portland at the, in the fall of last year. And I, I remember you and I talked about this. I, I, I was and remain struck by the sense of optimism and energy that you carry. And I think that great it's, part. it's just such a, it's just such a great thing. It's a, it's just such a great characteristic. I, I, I think it is notable though, that you carry it now but I appreciate how much you share the need for others to to join and to keep that optimistic flame burning because it doesn't just it's not just a one person task. That's right. And uh, one, thank you for your your kind and sincere words. And I I loved when I got a chance to meet you. But um, as you noted, you know, I have a lot of energy, but I want to see. Those that enjoy the dances or enjoy all the happy times join me in this time of distress to realize that this is the same Jason, the same Dr. Campbell, the same TikTok doc, but he needs us now. And so we've been able to um, understand and and take joy in, in the dances and the light moments, but in the dark times, he needs us as well. And so that's, you know, kind of what I really want to impart in this conversation that, you know, if you're with me with the, if you're with me with the fun, be with me when, you know, when, when my, uh, my community and I need you 
and that's just that's that's very important. That's crucial. It is really interesting how the last sort of six months have have evolved for you in that place because we have to acknowledge. I mean, you have you have created a moment of celebrity for yourself, and it is <laughs> fully earned, and it is all on your own skill and energy and optimism and talent, both as a creator and as a doctor. Is this something that you feel comfortable now leveraging, like you just described, to say, hey, if you liked me then, if you're one of the millions of people who've seen a TikTok video that I created, then there's a there's a shared responsibility that you 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 need to to support me now. For sure. And and you know, and I might lose a few followers and supporters by saying that, but um, but I didn't go into this or start that for that reason. You know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I only did that ever first TikTok in hopes that I would go from 3,000 Instagram followers, if you can believe that, way back when to 10,000. So I could disseminate more of my op-eds and commentary pieces that I've written about minorities, more than being more than an athlete, uh, increasing the numbers of minorities in medicine. I just wanted to disseminate those op-eds to a larger audience. Obviously, you know, a few hundred thousand later and here we are, but uh, my mission has always been the same. People that know me from back in high school and college, my work for diversity, for inclusion, for a woman equality and and uh, decreasing gender bias and increasing uh, the understanding that uh, blacks are more than just athletes has been there for many years and I'm, I'm very blessed and humbled to now have this platform but the platform goes both ways you know when we're having fun that's good but when there there are important issues to address then those issues need to be addressed and so like you said if you're with me for the fun and for the high times you know when society is low and when my community is being affected I need you to be with me there as well for me at least to to have that level of insight going from as you said right 3000 instagram followers and whatever to now you're in the like millions of views i mean weird numbers to to still yeah. understand to still understand the mission and to leverage it at a time like this it's 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 noteworthy and it's another way that we can learn from you as well thank you as we move now through Right. We're going to wake up Sunday morning. We're going to move into the rest of this week. We're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. There are actionable things that those who know, want and need to stand up can do. But you've also mentioned that our attention does get diverted quickly. And I am in full agreement. We know that things, the voltage drops very, very quickly can people who want to be allies help to keep that spotlight shining as the news cycle shifts, as the TV cameras move away, as the next major issue surfaces? We are going to need to keep this voltage high so that the we continue to draw allies where one brings two more and then those two bring right. three and we continue to grow together how do we what what thoughts do you have around how allyship equals keeping the voltage up it, the way that you do that is that when the moment strikes where you are being called to be a voice and to be reasonable and to or not even to be reasonable, but to be the reason that we can have change. Because actually, sometimes you can't be reasonable. You need to be irrational and, and tell someone you are wrong. Those views are outdated and there is no place for that now in 2020. And, you know, and, you know, I'm glad, you know, Mark, that we don't have sports right now because we have a lot 
more important issues to focus on because on the athletic field, blacks and whites, and you know, th- there's a certain level of equality that is seen. Uh, that unfortunately, a lot of times in society, off the athletic field, outside of the hospital, is not is not witnessed. And I just remember hearing something to that effect when I was when I was watching my daily you know, news. Um, and I thought that was just so interesting. You know, I really am glad that we can step away from sports. So we could say, Hey, if you look at us as equals on the athletic field, why can we not be seen as equals, uh, on the streets in the stores, in the supermarkets, just in everyday society. Uh, and so we need to address that first before we go back to just enjoying all of the perks and everything else that involves the, the African-American male. Um, and so, Remember, when your time is called, we need you to step up. When your time is called, step up to being the voice, to being loud and to saying, hey, I'm walking against racism. I'm just not going to stay on this this moving uh, escalator or walkway that's moving me towards the side of the those who are being racist. But I'm going to actively walk against that and let them know that I am. And that they can join me or that I'm leaving them behind. I can't think of a better way for us to bring this, hopefully, first of many conversations on the podcast yes. around because that's the call to action, right? There's We can't, yeah. we can't sugarcoat it. We can't parse it. That's it. That's, that's yeah. what it is. And that's that's the calling that I know that I carry with the privilege that comes with being a white male American and a white male physician, but also comes with those who also want to be the same kind of ally that our our nation needs and our communities need. I, I'm I'm so grateful to you. Late at night on the weekend, in the midst of everything that's going on, you've taken this time, Jason. I'm grateful to you. Thank you very much. Hey, Mark Dar Shapiro, I appreciate you. This was my absolute pleasure. Nowhere else I'd want to be right now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.